first lesson is from the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's household, father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast." Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet, and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. 
If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Lord, we thank you for this night, for this week. We think of the services that lay before us and the journey that we will go through as we remember your mighty deeds that brought us salvation. And I ask tonight, um, as we reflect upon the meal that you gave us, that we would see the great gift that it is. And Lord, that we could feast with you, that you would be present with us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it's great to see you, and you found the alternative location, so good for all of you. Uh, We will have Good Friday services here as well at noon tomorrow, so please make plans to join us for that. Um, Tonight we call Maundy Thursday, (laughs) not Monday Thursday, (laughs) Um, Maundy Thursday, and that comes from the Latin word uh, for commandment, and that refers to what Jesus does um, later in this passage from John where he gives the new commandment to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you that you would love one another. And that new commandment is connected to the new covenant. And that new covenant is connected to the meal that he gives to them, what we call the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Um, That's the second thing that Monday Thursday is about. It's about the institution of the Lord's Supper. And then the third thing, of course, is Jesus' washing of his disciples' feet. So there's any number of things that I could talk about, but I want to talk about the meal. I want to talk about the feast that our Lord gave us before he suffered. Um, Maybe you have good memories about family meals. Maybe you have bad memories. Maybe you have a mix of memories about family meals, about gathering around the table with your family. Whether those experiences were good or bad, it is true that the culture of a family is formed and renewed at the family table. You can form the culture of a family at the table, whether for good or for bad, and you can renew that culture, whether for good or for bad, at the table. And God has always acted in this way. He has always given his people a meal by which he forms the culture of his people, by which he renews that culture, draws people back into it, and by which he forms his people at that table. And we see that first in the Exodus story. So I want to look at some of the... the, things in the Exodus story first, and then look at the Lord's Supper, and then we are just going to let the liturgy speak for itself. Um, this is something that Dave says, is that we sometimes need to let the liturgy do the heavy lifting, and the service tonight um, does that in a, a particularly beautiful way. So I want to get out of the way and not say too many words, but I do want to talk about the Exodus because it's so important. It is the central story of the Old Testament, and it is the story by which the apostles came to understand so much of the work of Jesus, and partly because he told them that that's what he was doing, even though they didn't understand it at the time. And I want you to look at Exodus 12. It's in your bulletin there. And I want you to think about this, how this meal that he gives his people forms the culture of his people and renews the culture of his people. And one of the most fascinating things to me about these verses is God tells them what they're gonna do later before he actually does the thing for them, (laughs) before he actually delivers them out of bondage, out of the land of Egypt, he tells them, this is how you're going to remember what I'm about to do. You're going to want to remember this. 
I'm going to slow down. The Lord is going to speak for quite a few verses. It goes on way uh, longer after this. He slows down and he says, something is about to happen. I am about to act decisively. I'm about to redeem you. I'm about to save you. I'm about to deliver you. I heard your cries. I raised up Moses. We've had nine plagues. Here comes the 10th one. And here's what it all means. And this is how you're going to remember it. So one of the first things that we see about this meal is that the Lord changes their relationship to time. See in verse one, he says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. You're my people. This is your new year. This is New Year's Day for the people of God. And what's interesting about that is every other culture would have marked their time, not by an event in history, not by a saving act from their God, but by the movements of the stars and the sun and the moon. Now, isn't that interesting? In Egypt, they worship the sun that marks time for them. And God says, that's not how we mark time. This is the beginning. This is the reset. This is the redemption. We hear later God say, I am judging the gods of Israel, or the gods of Egypt. This deliverance is a judgment on the gods of Egypt. So my people and their culture is not like that. They don't relate to time in the same way that Egypt does. This meal, this Passover meal that you will keep from generation to generation to generation, another relationship to time, to think forward, is the beginning for you. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And in calling this meal together, he's asking them to remember to remember what he is about to do for them. And what's so interesting about the way the rest of the Old Testament often talks about the Exodus is no matter where Israel is in their story, they speak as if they were the ones there. They speak as if they were the ones who had their garments girded up and couldn't even have leaven in their bread because they had to move quickly. They speak as if the event is present to them. So when we talk about remembering, when we talk about memory, we're not just talking about simple recollection. This meal, this Passover meal, is a means by which God God brought the saving deeds that he had accomplished for his people in a present way before them, again and again and again, for their generations. So a good Jewish family, a good Hebrew family would gather around the table and then they would remember. If you've ever heard or experienced a, a Seder, a Passover feast, one of the famous lines in that is, how is this night different from every other night? What has God done tonight? Well, he saved us. He delivered us from bondage. He brought us out of the land of slavery. And that is a culture-forming, culture-renewing phrase. How is this night different from every other night? And as we talk about the Eucharist, how is this meal different from every other meal? How is this night different from every other night? So in the context of resetting the relationship to time and in the context of calling them to remember, he tells the Israel, people of Israel that they're supposed to keep the meal in this particular way. What they're supposed to cook, how they're supposed to cook it, what they do with the blood, what they don't do with the blood, how they make bread, which is the, voices, the verses following. And you think about the culture of a family, there's, there's secret family recipes that get passed down from generation to another. Part of how a culture is formed around a table is the food that this family eats together. And God is saying, you're my family and you eat this food 
in this way, and it forms you as a people, as my people, as my beloved children. So in the Exodus, we see these things, that God changes their relationship to time, he calls them to remember, and the way that he calls them to remember is by giving them the Passover meal that they are to keep from generation to generation to generation. And he goes on to say what might be a little bit harsh, but hear it in a different way, that if you don't keep this meal, you're cut off. Meaning, this is the family meal. If you want to be part of the family, you got to do the family meal. So think of it in those terms. So with all of that in mind, think of this supper that Jesus gave to his disciples that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And here we stand tonight, 2,000 some odd years later, and we are about to celebrate that feast because people kept that feast. The earliest strand of this tradition in the New Testament is in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written before the Gospels. So when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper in the 1 Corinthians, that's the earliest written tradition that we have. And one of the first things he says about it in 1 Corinthians 5 is, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us on our behalf, making us his family, making us his beloved sisters and brothers, bringing us to his beloved father. Therefore, we keep this feast. This is the feast that we are given. This is the memorial meal that we are given. Just in the same way that God acted decisively for the people of Israel, just as he passed over them, passed over the lamb blood painted lentils and death passed over them and they were delivered out of slavery and bondage, so too has death passed over us because our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. That has been sacrificed language is this language of an ongoing effect, an ongoing reality. Not something that just happened once in the past, but something that happened and keeps on having an effect, keeps on happening in a certain way. So when Jesus tells his disciples about this meal, the gospels slow down. The gospels are very fast paced. And then when they get to the passion, everything slows down. We get more detail. We get shorter periods of time covered in more detail, especially in the gospel of John. Jesus takes his time He's saying, I'm about to do something for you. You don't understand it now, but I'm gonna tell you what I'm about to accomplish for you. And I'm gonna give you a meal. Just in the same way that the Lord said to the people of Israel, look, this is what's about to happen. And this is how I want you to remember it. Jesus says, this is what's about to happen to me. I'm gonna be handed over. I'm gonna die. And on the third day, I'm gonna be risen again. And you don't understand that yet. In fact, one of you can betray me, one of you's gonna deny me, and the rest of you aren't gonna be nowhere to be found. <laughs> but on the other side of the tomb, you are going to ask what just happened, and I'm telling you right now what happened, and I'm gonna give you a way to remember it. I'm going to give you a meal. So this meal that Jesus gives his followers is a memorial meal, it's a covenant meal, and it's a Passover meal. And all those things are tied together. It's a memorial meal in that we are called to remember. What does Jesus say when he institutes the supper? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Until I come again, do this. 
until I come back for you, my people who I have saved and whom I have delivered out of slavery, out of bondage, and into life, do this in remembrance of me. And again, this is not mere recollection, like, hey, wasn't that great when Jesus did that? It's when we celebrate this, Jesus promises to be with us in it. In a sense, Jesus is with us at the table. That's when we talk about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, in this meal that he's given us. A feast of thanksgiving, that's what Eucharist means. So he's given us a a memorial meal. And not only is the past present to us in this meal, the future is present to us too. The promised future that God is taking us to also breaks in at this moment. Because we, as we say, lift our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We are joining heavenly worship. That is where God is taking us. That is the promised future that our Passover lamb has secured for us in his death. So it's a memorial meal, but it's also a covenant meal or a family meal, the family meal of God. Just as the Passover meal for the people of Israel was their covenant meal, so is this the meal for the people of God. And what that means at its most base level is we are the kind of people who do this. We are the family that does this. We are the family of the baptized who remember our Passover lamb by keeping this feast. Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. And this is the table where the culture of the family of God is formed and renewed. Or the way that some people say it is the Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. Meaning, when we come and feast at this table, God nourishes us. It's the source of our life in Christ, but it's also the summit. Because God's intention was always to eat with his people. Later in the book of Exodus, there's this insane scene. We should talk about it way more. When Moses and all the elders of Israel go up on the mountain and they feast with God. They sit at table with God. That's amazing. And yet, we, we do it every week. God promises to be here with us, to feast with us, to eat with us, because we are in covenant with him. And that covenant, every covenant, we can get squeamish about it, we may not like it, but every covenant is cut. Every covenant is a covenant in blood. The Passover lamb both for Israel and for us, shed his blood. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in the remembrance of me. This is a covenant cut by blood. It's Blood is what makes a family. We share the same blood. We share the blood of the Passover lamb, and that's what makes us a family, and we come to that table So it's a memorial meal, it's a covenant meal, and it's a Passover meal. What does the Lord say? When you do the Passover, there has to be a lamb without blemish. Bring to me a lamb without blemish. What he goes on to talk about in Exodus is the consecration of every firstborn son and every firstborn animal. And all of this points forward to Jesus, who is not only the firstborn of all creation, but the only begotten son of God, who is the lamb without blemish. It's why we don't have to keep sacrificing over and over and over and over again. See the book of Hebrews for more information on that. He's the lamb without blemish. He's the firstborn. He's the only begotten one who is slain for us. 
And it was in the heart of God to do this from eternity past. In the book of Revelation, John sees a lamb who was slain from the creation of the earth. Christ coming, taking on our flesh, living among us, dying for us, giving us this meal was not an afterthought. It was not plan B. It was in the heart of God from eternity past, before he created anything. The lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. And it is by the blood of this Passover lamb that death will pass over us too. It is by the blood of this Passover lamb that we are delivered out of death into life, out of bondage, into freedom. So that's, all of that is always happening when we're doing this meal. And Jesus says, I'm with you. I want you to remember me. I eagerly desire to drink this cup again with you, which I will not drink until my kingdom comes. We will feast with Jesus. We will have this feast with Jesus, our Passover meal, our covenant meal. So the Lord forms us as covenant people, as his family, around the table, just as every family is formed around the table, just as the culture of a family is renewed around the table, so the Lord renews us, feeds us, nourishes us around his table. Which brings us to what makes this particular service different. We will celebrate this feast, and we will remember everything that God has done for us, and then we will take it all away. It will be stripped away. And we are invited to imagine something that maybe we don't want to imagine, which is the darkness and silence in a world where there is no Passover lamb. <laughs> the darkness and silence of a world where there isn't the possibility that death might pass over us, where there isn't the possibility that he rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't r rise from the dead, then he would just be a historical curiosity, another failed political revolutionary who said some crazy stuff, and if you were into first century history, maybe you would know about him. His death is never disconnected from his resurrection. That resurrection is the vindication of everything that had come before. It is the victory. But we're not there yet, at least in terms of how we relate to time in the church calendar. We are journeying with him. And as we sit in silence, and as we sit in darkness, and as we look at this stripped table, we are invited to imagine the possibility of a world where death does have the last word, where darkness does have the last word, where silence is deafening. But our great hope is this, that we have a Passover lamb who leads us out of bondage. As we say in our Eucharistic prayer, he has brought us from bondage into freedom, from sin into righteousness, from death into life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the meals that you've given your people to remind them of who you are and to remind us of who we are in you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that even as we remember your death, we know the ending of the story, that you are the lamb that lives. Even now, ruling and reigning, but Lord, we don't want to pass over um, what it cost. The covenant in blood. This is my covenant, the new covenant in my blood. 
shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. It costs you dearly to deliver us. Help us, Lord, to meditate on those great and mighty deeds over the next few days. Be with us as we celebrate Easter and let it, let it renew hope and joy in us that we worship a lamb who lives. In Jesus' name, amen.